This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 224 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Ryan Cha. Ryan is a pharmacist and real estate investor who holds a portfolio of single-family homes that he rents out to students on a room-by-room basis. And by renting by the door, he's able to maximize his rents per unit. So if you're looking for a great way to dramatically increase your rents by renting out your properties to college students or to young professionals on a room-by-room basis, then you need to listen to this episode. If you guys enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. If you love it, give us five stars. And if you hate it, give us one star. But in any case, leave us a review. It'll help support the show a lot and will help us grow to get more listeners. And by spreading the show, we can help more people become better real estate investors and change their lives. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties with rates as low as 4%, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now on to the show. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for inviting me on the show, Sean. So I'm a pharmacist, 28-year-old pharmacist, and I invested in real estate over the course of four years. And I was able to create a passive income portfolio of about $10,755 per month. Recently, I'm actually purchasing a fifth rental, which is going to generate around $3,200 per month. So I'll be making around $14,000 of rental income by August, which will be amazing. Super exciting. Just to clarify, that thirteen thousand you're mentioning—that's like before paying your expenses, right? These are gross numbers. Yes, these are gross numbers. Correct. Gotcha. So yeah, why don't you go ahead and just tell me, like, how did you even start investing in real estate, especially at such a young age? Yeah, so I was actually inspired by my grandpa. He bought a few properties in the San Francisco Bay Area. And as we all know, he bought them before Silicon Valley was a thing. But as we all know, when Silicon Valley started up, basically all those prices skyrocketed, rents went up like crazy. And my grandpa was able to not only retire early and cover all of his living expenses, but he was also able to help pay for my college tuition, part of my college tuition and that of my brothers as well. So I realized then that real estate is one of the best ways to generate generational wealth, right? So I wanted to get started as soon as possible. I graduated as a pharmacist in 2015. And a year later, I basically was working two jobs. I was working retail pharmacy and hospital pharmacy and to save up a lot of capital so that I can have a lot of opportunity to invest in real estate later. So in 2016, I bought my first property. It was uh, for $262,000. It was a three bed, two bathroom house. It was very old. It was over 100 years old. So I had a lot of problems with it. I actually lost over $30,000 on it. But then I kept at it. So I bought one property per year and I rent out by the room to maximize my profits. Essentially, I'm doubling my rental income on each property. And then I created this $14,000 rental portfolio. Very cool. Uh, we're going to go into more detail on all of these deals, but how you like purchased your first property yet? Like have you purchased your own primary residence or are they all rental properties so far? They're all rental properties so far. Actually, this year, I'm going to probably be buying a duplex in Sacramento area. So if you guys know any deals in Sacramento area, hit me up. But yes, pretty much all rental properties, investment properties. Yeah. So like right from the get go, I guess, even during college, you were probably thinking, okay, 
real estate is the way to go. How am I going to start buying real estate? Because no one really like just buys real estate right off the gate, right? Unless you had a plan going into it. Yeah, exactly. So I actually saw my friend in college, he was doing this house hacking thing where he basically lived in one room and rented out all the other rooms to his college buddies. And so his college buddies were basically paying down the mortgage for him and he was living there for free. So I was like, oh man, I should get into this. Right. So, I mean, I could have started when I was a college and, you know, first starting college, but you know, I didn't have the, I guess, bravery to do that. So over the years, though, I was like, oh, man, I got to make it happen. So eventually, I just jumped in into it as soon a year after I started working as a pharmacist. And then it just exploded from there. Is there a reason why you didn't want to do the house hockey method first instead of just buying a rental property? I did, but I wanted to focus on my schooling. But if I were to go back, I definitely would have done the house hacking method because you can put as low as a three and a half percent or five percent down payment on a house. So basically, you know, you can get started with barely any money at all, right? Yeah. Well, I'm asking more so on like your first rental property. You said you bought that you know, at 24 after you had been working for a year or so. Why did you decide to do that as a rental property versus like buying a house hack first? Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, I didn't know about house hacking back then. I was a newbie. I just wanted to get into real estate investing and all the lenders were telling me you have to put a 20% down payment. So I was like, okay, well, I'll put 20% down. And then that's what I did. And luckily that house went up $80,000. Actually, now it's up $100,000. I was able to take out a HELOC from the house and use that equity to purchase my fourth property. So I kind of joke, like when I bought that first property, I basically bought two properties at the same time because I'm not taking any money out of my own pocket. I was able to leverage that equity using a HELOC to buy the next one, to buy the fourth one I bought. So let's talk about that very first deal. How did you guys find it and how did you finance it? Actually, I just met up with a real estate agent. I did my research. I looked for a real estate agent who was an investor themselves. So he actually invests in real estate himself or he, if he knows other real estate investors, because that way he kind of is in the right mindset to find a good deal for you. Right. And so he just found this deal. I think it actually popped up on the MLS and it was for 262000 Prices were pretty low back then in 2016 still. So I just went into it. I didn't do any of my due diligence. I did conventional financing. So I put a 20% down payment. And because I was working a W-2 job, it's very easy to get conventional financing, which honestly has some of the best interest rates out there. People who are self-employed, it's a little bit harder to get good interest rates because they don't have as much access to those that conventional financing that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac provide, right? So basically, I you know got into it. I lost $30,000 because I didn't do my due diligence. I had a tenant who called me one night on a weekend saying, hey, dude, there's sewage coming coming out of the kitchen sink and the showers, and it's just flooding the whole area. And so it was a huge mess. He said it smelled horrid, right? And then, so I had to call up this sanitation crew to clean it all up. And then we stuck a camera down the pipe and we found out the pipe had all these breaks in it. So we had to replace the whole sewage line for $9,000. I also had to put a sump pump into the basement to pump out the fluid there, right? So it was kind of a mess on that first property. I also didn't have an HVAC system, a very good one. So I had to install one for, it was $15,000. So as I said, I lost over $30,000 on my first property, but all those things were avoidable. Like for instance, if I did a sewage line inspection during the escrow phase of the house, I would have found those breaks and I would have used that as a negotiation point saying, hey, the sewage line looks like it does need replacing. Can you cut a check at closing or how 
how can we work this out, right? Is that normal though? Because I've purchased properties all the time and I don't think I've ever done like that sewage check. Is that something that you do nowadays? Exactly. I do it for every house now, ever since then. Okay. Because I actually had two houses that had sewage line breaks in the area. So any houses that are older than the 1980s were built using cast iron pipes. Everything after the 1980s were built using PVC pipes. So those are a lot more stable and stronger. And obviously the roots have a much tougher time getting into PVC pipe. But for the cast iron, they can rust. And then roots can stick into it and then break the pipes. So anything older than 1980, I always recommend getting like a sewage line inspection just to make sure, you know, roots aren't really getting into that pipe. Yeah, that makes sense. And you also mentioned that you spent 15 grand on a new HVAC system, right? But yeah, I mean, I feel like that's something you could have known from day one, but I guess as a new investor, it's something you think about. Yeah. Was it that the HVAC system was not working or that, you know, you wanted to upgrade it for your tenant's benefit? It was uh, pretty subpar. So there was only one vent in the whole upstairs. And to you know create a whole new duct system, it wasn't worth it. So what we ended up doing is used a mini split system. So mini split is a little bit more of an advanced HVAC technology, and it cools down the rooms very fast. So we ended up just doing that because it's more efficient, energy efficient. So the energy bills are lower for the tenants. There's less complaints. But also, it just all the rooms ended up being like 90 degrees during the summers, which was just not acceptable for the tenants. And they were very unhappy about that. And, you know, they blasted the AC, but it was just not strong enough. And so we just opted to do that instead. That makes sense. So then when did you decide to go from like traditional rentals to the room by room model? Yeah. So actually at the very beginning, I started out doing that, but I had a lot of problems like finding college tenants. So I kind of came up with this new method called the prime method I used to find high quality tenants. And we could talk about that in a bit. But yeah, at the very beginning, I just wanted to do this rent by the room because I was inspired by my friend, right? Because basically we're able to get around 600 to $700 per bedroom. And for a four bedroom house, that means you're getting anywhere like 2,400 to 2,500. For a five bedroom house, that means you can get up to like $3,100. Versus Rentometer, using the site rentometer.com, you can look up different rents in the area, what the average rent is. The average rent for all my houses is around $1,500. So I'm basically doubling that rental income if I could put in a four or fifth bedroom. Mm -hmm. I guess you found out from day one, right? You realize that this is the way you're going to boost rents on your rental properties. Yeah, exactly. And what's really great is what I do is a one-year lease and I allow them to sublease during the summer. So I can help them, you know, find some subleasers or they can find the subleases themselves. But it's not like I have much turnover. I have like a a one-year lease agreement. A lot of them want to stay a second year. So it's actually a very lucrative market for those interested. Are these people typically like friends who all come together or are they like one-offs who just want a separate room? So yeah, it depends. Sometimes I get friends that come together. Sometimes I'll just get sporadically just one-offs, like you said. Some of them will all be like in pharmacy school. So I'll basically have a house with the pharmacy school students. Others will all be engineering students and I'll group them and pair them together as well. So I basically get all these applicants and I kind of decide where would be the best place to put them. Have you had any issues with like people who, you know, probably aren't friends and they get to like live together in this one house? Uh, Is it like hard to manage that? No, I would say not. But I would say once a year or so, I might have a tenant 
versus a tenant conflict, meaning one tenant's just not happy about another tenant because he's playing loud music or maybe he's really messy, he's not cleaning up the dishes, that type of stuff. In that case, what I do is I empower them that and basically say, hey, you know, you're an adult now. Talk with the tenant you're complaining about one-on-one -on -one first and then come up with an actionable plan. Implement that actionable plan. And then if you're still having issues, then you can come back to me and then I can talk to them. If that doesn't work out, you can go to the next step of the process, which is basically talking to one of the parents. And then I've had to do that once in the last five years. And after talking with the parent, the parent basically got their child under control and everything was totally fine after that. But yeah, usually it doesn't go that far. But what I do is I, like I said, I try to empower them to handle those situations themselves as adults, take responsibility. And is your target demographic these like college and students basically to live in your properties? Yeah. So I usually target like third or fourth year students because they're usually more mature by then. I'll also target like pharmacy, dental students, engineering, law students. So basically like post-grad students who reach that level of maturity, but they also have to spend a lot of times like studying for their classes, like midterms and finals. So they're very serious about getting their degree and they're not going to, you know, put up with someone wanting to throw like a wild college party. Right. Right. Exactly. I use this method called the prime method. So basically P stands for placement of ads. So you want to place your ads where your target tenants hang out. So maybe it's like the college of pharmacy or class of 2025 20, school of pharmacy or something like that, for example, right? And like, if you don't put your ads where they're not hanging out, then you're basically fishing in an empty pond. And you don't want to do that. So you want to kind of figure out where are these tenants looking? Maybe it's the campus bulletin boards, or maybe like Facebook groups, or maybe Craigslist, right? Or maybe they have an app that they use, right, for student housing. And then you want to get your ad there. R stands for reviewing social media. So once they contact you, you want to review their social media, their Facebook, look for anything like partying, smoking, drugs, that type of stuff. I try to avoid those types of tenants. I stands for identifying the type of tenant. So is this a tenant who's pretty easy to communicate with? Like, do they get angry very easily? Are they, you know, snarky? Or are they asking for cheaper rent from the get-go or asking for things even before they sign the lease? That's a red flag that I watch out for. M stands for measuring responsiveness. So the more responsive a tenant is, the more responsible they are usually. So if they get back to you within a couple days when you ask for paperwork, from, for example, usually that's a good sign that this tenant is going to be a responsible professional tenant. So you can kind of tell in how they talk to you as well. Right. So I have some tenants that address me as like, oh, Mr. Chaw, I got my application in. Let me know if you have any questions about it. And I'm looking forward to, you know, signing a lease with you or something like that. That's a pretty high quality tenant, very professional, that type of stuff. Right. If you get a tenant that says, hey, dude, yo, I got to, you know, put my application in. I need it right away. Give me a room as soon as possible. Then I'm like, okay, that's not the type of tenant I probably want staying at my house. Then E stands for insuring proof of income. So basically, it's not usually the student paying the rent, it's usually the parent. So basically, you never get unpaid rent because what parent is going to want their child being evicted from the place they're staying at their college, right? So the student either can send their parents' bank statements or FICO score, or credit score, or they can send things like student loan documents or financial aid documents if they'll be using student loans or financial aid to be paying the rent. 
So basically there's several sources for them to be able to pay the rent. And what's really nice is that you're charging half the price of on-campus houses. So I charge $600, $700 for off-campus housing, which is actually very close to the school. I'm less than a five minute walk to their classes still. And I'm you know, basically charging the half the price of on-campus because on-campus is charging around $1,200 and they stay in a dormitory where they're basically bunking with their roommate. Yeah. I mean, I was in college, we were in college not too long ago. So we still remember how painful it was to pay for our, you know, cost of living expenses. Even my apartment, it cost me like a thousand bucks a month for, for one room. So yeah, 700 is totally affordable. Oh, geez. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Who came up with that prime system? Is that you? Did you make that acronym yourself? Yeah, that's actually my method. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's nice. So then after that first one, like how long did you wait till you bought your second property? About a year. So I bought one property per year, and then that's how I slowly built up my portfolio. I used conventional financing for the second one and the third one. But like I said, for the fourth one, I was kind of running out of capital. So I started taking out equity from my existing properties to pay for the fourth one. And the fifth one as well, I'm going to be using a HELOC too. So, I mean, you are buying in still like considered like California, Northern California, right? And these properties aren't cheap. They're like 250K, you know, right? Maybe a little bit more expensive than that. At some point, don't you run into like debt to income ratio issues where the banks just won't finance you anymore? Not yet. But after the fifth property, between the fifth and the fourth, usually conventional financing, they start shutting you off. But for me, every time I buy a property, I actually get more income. And yes, I do have a debt, right? But my income, if my income is like $3,200 or $3,100 on the house and my debt is $1,500, right? That's a, like a two to one ratio. So I, I maintain a very good debt to income ratio because I have a very high income coming from these by doing the rent by the room. Got it. So the lenders, they'll look at your rent and they'll give you full credit for it, even though you're doing the whole like, you know, non-traditional like room by room version versus just taking market rents. Yeah, actually, you know, it's 75%. Uh, when I talk to my lenders, it's about 75% of the total rental income they consider as true income. That's still pretty good because... Like I mentioned, most lenders I know, they would probably only take 75% of market rents. Your rents are quote unquote inflated compared to market rents, right? Yeah. But no, that's good. What are your plans then? What are your plans after number five? It seems like you're, you're tapped out and you're going to be stuck. So I plan on just retiring when I hit 31. I'll probably pay off the second and the third rental using the cash flow that I'm generating and then my W-2 income. At that point, I'll be generating around $7,500 in cash flow after like expenses and stuff, or maybe around, I would say 7,000 after expenses and taxes and all that. And so at that point, I'll be pretty much financially free. And so I will, you know, have more time to go follow other ventures that I kind of had as a child. And one of them is actually I'm teaching others how to do this system, use the student housing system for themselves. So I'll definitely be putting a lot of energy and then into showing others how to use this method to get them to financial freedom. Got it. So I guess to, to summarize, right now you're still building it. And then maybe after one or two more properties, you hopefully it will have enough in a you know, passive cash flow that you can leave your full-time job as a pharmacist to then pursue this passion full-time. Yeah, exactly. So it's about having that choice. Like I could choose to continue working as a pharmacist, maybe one or two days, but at that point, it's totally up to me. I have that control over my own life, over where I want to see myself in the future and what type of impact I want to make on the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I think we're very similar because I had a very similar mindset when I was like 25, 26. 
And that's when I started buying my own rental properties. And then after a certain point, you know, I was actually making enough passive cash flow that I could leave my full-time job as an engineer and cover all my expenses. Yeah. Like back then I was house hacking too, right? So having that ability to leave and leave a position that I personally didn't feel like I was going to be in for a long time made it so that I was comfortable to just, you know, leave and then do something else. But at first I thought I would never work again. And here I am now working as a lender. And it's funny because like it all works together really well. So it's funny where life takes you. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is truly life changing investing in real estate. Maybe not the first year or the second year, but once you're like five, eight years into it, it really does change your life a lot. Would you ever plan on doing this same strategy, but maybe for a different location, maybe somewhere out of state or somewhere cheaper? Oh yeah, definitely. I do have some mentees that I teach. They're out of state. They're in like Georgia, Wilmington, Carolina, Charlotte, Texas. I have some in Oregon. So basically I realized that this method actually even works better outside of California because California prices are a little bit inflated, but they also appreciate a lot better, right? So you kind of have a little bit of a trade-off when you invest out of state, right? You might have higher cash flow, but you'll probably have lower appreciation. Versus California, I get a lot of appreciation. In fact, my properties have gone up about $250,000. And what I could do is actually access that equity using a HELOC and then leverage it further to buy, you know, three or four more rental properties if I wanted to. Right now, I'm kind of in my payoff phase where I just want to pay off the second and third one and then see where I want to go from there. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel the same way. Like if you invest out of state, you get a lot of cash flow, but not so much appreciation. But from speaking to, you know, I have like what, 200 plus episodes so far, right? So over 200 guests who have come on the show. I found that in reality, like with real estate, the appreciation is where you really make the wealth, you know, like the cash flow is just so you can hold on to the property as it appreciates and you can do whatever you want, right? You can get a cash out refinance, you get a HELOC, you can even sell it. Exactly. Uh, but the appreciation is really where you make that big money. And they just you know, turn the money again and buy more properties, just like what you're doing with your like fourth and fifth. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of options available to you, but you're right. A lot of wealth is built through appreciation. Yeah. And I think after this call, we definitely talk about our long-term mental loan program because it might help you be able to scale even when you leave your full-time job because you can still get loans with us even if you're not working a full-time job. Oh, that, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So from your experience so far, it's been about you know four years. What are some of the like biggest mistakes that you've encountered and like what are new people encountering like your mentees and how are you helping them guide around that? So I would say definitely one of the things you want to do is watch out for some red flags. Do your due diligence. So for my particular method, I recommend my mentees invest very close to the college. So either within a five minute walking distance or if there's not enough neighborhoods around the college, at least a five minute driving distance. So definitely location is always a big factor. As you guys know, location, location, location in real estate, right? It's still one of the biggest factors I look for. Second thing I want to look at is age of the property. My first house was a hundred year old house. So it had a lot of things just break down on the house, sewage, electrical, HVAC, right? I just had all these problems because it was an older house, right? So I stay away from the properties that are over a hundred years old when I can. I also look for opportunities to add those extra bedrooms. So if a house is 1200 square foot or more, usually you can add a fourth bedroom to it. 
if it's 1500 or more square foot, usually you can add a fifth bedroom to it. And every time you add that extra bedroom, it leads to an extra 600 or $700 in cash flow, which really boosts your rental income. If you can just add two bedrooms to a house, that's $1,200 in additional cash flow that you're making on that property. So those are kind of like some of the things I look for. Another thing is, of course, parking. If you do have four or five students at the house, you want to have enough room to park like four or five cars, right? So how do you do that? Because most of the time, you know, you have what you have. There's no choice. Yeah. So if you get a house that's very close to campus, it's not as necessary to have as many parking spaces, like three or four would be sufficient. But if you are like within more of a driving distance to campus, then I do recommend having at least a driveway or some street parking when you buy a house. Yeah. Because I remember when I was in LA living in the apartments, I mean, yeah, I guess your apartments, but anyway, you know, we had what, like six parking spots for 10 guys. And the streets were completely filled. I mean, it's Los Angeles, you can imagine, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. But it is what it is, right? Because it's so close to campus, you have no choice. You just have to just take it. Yeah, you got to take it. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, like, if the whole area is like that, then it's not as much of a deal as long as you are close enough to campus to walk to it, right? Mm-hmm. Because if the whole area is like that, then the students really have no choice. If they want to live off campus, they're always going to have parking trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. How has COVID impacted your business at all? It actually did. In November, December time or so, I had a little bit of trouble getting renters. And so what I did is I offered a little bit of a discount. So like $100 off for some of my bedrooms. I was able to still fill up all my bedrooms and make around $9,300 dollars in rent versus the original $10,755. But it really came to that push. So first, you know, the college basically canceled the classes or they said everything will be online. I was really worried because I was like, oh, am I even going to get tenants? Right. But I did the push. And then I asked, you know, people if they would be willing to stay at a discounted price. A lot of them still wanted to stay with their friends. And they can't usually stay at home because their parents' place is usually chaotic. And if they all go back to it, then it's, it's very hard for them to focus on school and concentrate. So a lot of them still wanted to stay with their friends. I also started retargeting. So I also targeted like medical professionals, young professional workers, new grads, alumni type of deal. And I got a few of those as well. So I was able to 100% occupy my house throughout COVID, even though I took a little bit of a cut because I offered out discounts. Yeah, I actually have someone else who does student housing, but they do like new development student housing. So everything's like super nice and fresh. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, wasn't COVID really bad for you guys? Because, you know, we assume everyone would stay home. He's like, no, like college kids do not want to live at home if they can help it. They want to stay at home and stay on campus with their friends. Exactly. Yeah, I asked a couple of them. They all said similar stuff. You know, I just can't focus at home. You know, I want to stay with my friends. I want to really focus on my studying. So, yeah, it's a good point you bring up. And would you think about doing this in like maybe another market that's not near a college campus? Or do you think this kind of strategy only really works near like schools or like professionals? So yeah, what I recommend is it works in colleges very well, but another thing you could target is hospitals. So if you're in a place with a lot of hospitals, you can target hospital workers. For example, one of my clients is in Sacramento, and he basically targeted UC Davis medical students, and that worked out very well for him, or UC Davis medical workers and students as well. You can also invest in their big tech companies. So if you see like big tech moving into an area, you can expect that the houses in that area will probably go up in price and the rent in that area will also go up and you'll have a lot of demand for housing. 
So kind of build, you know, finding a house in the middle of the hospitals or in the middle of big tech or even government. Sacramento, for example, is the government center of California. So my student was able to get some tenants who are government workers. And obviously they have pensions and everything, very good, stable income. Yeah. Do you think the reason why it works like that is because, I mean, maybe those people are so busy at work anyway that they don't really go home that often. And they just want a convenient spot to like lay their head. Is that why they're okay with living in this kind of situation? Yeah, I would say a lot of them value the short commute, right? Or the ability to just walk to work. And so that's a you know good reason why we get a lot of people from that. Gotcha. Versus like having to pay a lot of money for an actual apartment and then not even being there that often. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing is, again, we're offering rents at like $600 or $700 versus staying at an apartment. Usually an apartment in Sacramento will cost at least $1,200. So it's a lot cheaper for them to share the space, right? The share the house and then just live in one of the rooms. Gotcha. And so how did you find the other deals that you ended up purchasing too? Was it all very much the same method? Yeah. So my real estate agent, again, he's an investor himself, but he kind of established a network around the area. So he talks to a lot of potential sellers in the area. So my latest deal, my fifth deal, I was actually able to get it off market because he got a tip from someone and I was able to get it for $340,000, excuse me. And it actually appraised for $360,000. So I already got it $20,000 under basically market value. And this is during like a very hot market in California. So real estate's really a lot about connections that you have. So if you kind of create these networks, talk to some real estate agents and tell them exactly what you're looking for. Things like for me, I'm looking for a place that's very close to campus within this price range and has potential to add those bedrooms, then they'll basically give you a tip whenever they encounter someone who wants to sell their house because they're doing their marketing as well, right? They're saying, hey, if you want to sell your house in the area, basically, I'm a real estate agent, I can represent you, right? So you want to kind of make those connections with those agents who basically know the market very well and have connections in that area. Exactly. And I'm guessing for your sake, you want, you're like, hey, give me a home with as many rooms and bathrooms as possible within like a reasonable size square footage. Exactly. Yeah. I tell them my exact criteria and then they just, you know, they'll let me know once a year or so. They'll just let me know saying, Hey, I got this deal. Go ahead. And you're welcome to take a look before I put it on the market and I'll give it to you. You know, if you want to take it. I mean, it seems like a very easy client to work with, right? Like, oh yeah, I want it. I'll buy it. And you've closed what five deals with him already. So he's probably really happy. He'll send you more and more deals. That's the best. It's like, yeah, it's got like a win-win situation, right? He knows what I'm looking for. And... Exactly. Uh, it's better than the alternative where like, there's a lot of people who are looky-loose, right? They're like, oh, I want this, this, and this. And they find you the perfect deal. And they're like, nah, I don't know. And then they're like, damn, wasted so much time. But Yeah, exactly. You don't want to do that. Exactly. Awesome. So is there anything else that you think we should cover about your system, about your investing strategy before we wrap up the show today? No, I mean, we cover most of the topics. I would say... In terms of like scalability, I would say this is definitely one of the most scalable methods out there because you can reinvest your cash flow into the next property. And that was how it's able to create such a six figure portfolio in the course of only four years. So you could, of course, reinvest the cash flow, reinvest appreciation on the property, and then truly create a six figure portfolio in a very quick time span. Yeah, exactly. So, and I guess for anyone who wants to get started, like what should they be looking for? What should they be doing like today? Just get started as soon as possible. If you can house hack, do it, right? Because real estate's like planting seeds and letting them grow into trees, right? 
you basically want to buy now and even if it's a hot market right now, I know a lot of people will say it's a hot market, but there's still deals out there and there's still deals that will make sense. For example, this model, it will make sense if you buy a high cost property, but you're able to put in a fifth, sixth, or even seventh bedroom because your cash flow will still make a lot of sense once you put in those additional bedrooms, right? So what I say is get started right away, just take that leap and then capture the appreciation, the rental increases, and be able to take depreciation on the property, which is a tax deduction, and take advantage of all that. Because over time, with inflation, your debt is going to get cheaper, you're going to be paying your debt back in cheaper dollars, while your mortgage payment stays the same, right? So it'll be easier and easier after each year to pay back your mortgage. Right, exactly. Do you ever plan on moving away from like active property management into like maybe hiring someone else to take care of all that for you? Yeah, definitely. I'll probably hire a VA in the next couple of years or so. Basically my main job is bookkeeping. And then I have like a team of contractors I can count on. So basically I just forward a text message from my tenant to the proper contractor and he takes care of it. So I'll train the VA to do that. And then the VA to take care of the bookkeeping. And that's pretty much it. Very nice. You don't have to hire a property manager necessarily who will charge, you know, a high percentage of your rental income. Once you create that system and put that system in place and you can train someone else to do that and you have these protocols and procedures that they follow, then pretty much most people can do the job. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people reach out to you? So if you guys are interested in the student housing strategy, I actually provide a free PDF about it, my strategy, and just like if you want to get started in real estate investing and you're a new investor, you can reach me at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. And I'm looking forward to connecting with people. Awesome. Do you want to share your email address and phone number too? Or Oh, yes. My email address is rchaw at newbierealestateinvesting.com. And I check that every day. So you guys can contact me there. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, thanks again, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.